Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to our broadcast, Carefully Examining the Text. In this episode, we want to cover the 31st Psalm. Psalm 31 talks about, or the introduction, the heading says, for the choir director, a psalm of David. And in this psalm, David pours out his struggles. In the psalm, you see an alteration, an alternation between David's trust in God and David's distressing circumstances. For example, in verses 9 through 13, he will pour out his distress and his grief. And in other passages, he pours out his trust in God. And we want to bring it all together in our short time in looking at these words. But let's begin by reading the first five verses. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. The Psalms often speak of taking refuge in God. In Psalm 511, Psalm 71, Psalm 111. And we could continue on with mentions of passages like that. In Psalm 2, verse 12, the Bible says that blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. And yet this writer has taken refuge in the Lord and he continues to experience problems. He continues to experience difficulties. And he begs God, let me never be ashamed in verse 1. He begs God to deliver based on God's character. In verse 1, in your righteousness, deliver me. He's going to refer to God's righteousness in verse 1. He's going to refer to God as a God of truth or faithfulness in verse 5. He's going to make numerous references throughout the psalm to God's loving kindness, verse 7, verse 16, and verse 21. He calls God to deliver based on who He is. God is a God of truth. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of loving kindness. And he also knows that God is a mighty God, that God is a stronghold and a rock of refuge. As he expresses in verses 2 and 3, he begs God in verse 2, to hear his prayer, incline your ear to me and rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of refuge, a stronghold to save me. 
he views God as a rock. Now, the word for rock used in verse 2 is a different Hebrew word than the word used for rock in verse 3. But both of them carry the same idea. They carry the idea of a place of strength, of a place of security. And he says in verse 3, For your name's sake you will lead me and guide me. God guides us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In Psalm 23, in verse 3, He forgives us for His name's sake. In Psalm 25, in verse 11, and now He begs God, lead me and guide me for Your name's sake, not for my glory, but for Yours, O God. In verse 4, God pulls him out of the net that the enemies have laid for him. His enemies are mentioned frequently in the psalm. Enemies, adversaries, or sometimes we know they're enemies just by what they do. But I counted up uh, some seven or eight references to them in Psalm 21. Into your hand, in verse 5, I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. God is a God of truth. God is a God of faithfulness. We mentioned that in passing, that point that's stressed in verse 5. Hold on to that just a moment. And we want to tie that with something in verse 7. In verse 6, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. In the Hebrew language, the person who is acting is indicated in the verb Verbs can end with a first-person common singular or a second singular or a third singular. But in this passage, there is an added personal pronoun. When that is done in Hebrew, it is for emphasis. In verse 6, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I... I trust in the Lord. That emphasis on the personal pronoun I, it could be rendered that way. I, I trust in the Lord. In contrast to those who put their hope and trust in false gods, I put my hope in you. And he says in verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction and you have known the troubles of my soul. We mentioned that God was a God of truth or faithfulness in verse 5 and that God's loving kindness is mentioned here in verse 7. Those attributes of God are often combined in Scripture. In the famous passage in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, full of loving kindness, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He abounds in loving kindness and truth. He has shown that at the Exodus. He has shown that in forgiving the people forgiving the people after the sin of the golden calf. And that same loving kindness and truth is shown in the psalmist's life. 
I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction and you have known the troubles of my soul. By the way, that word affliction was used to describe Israel's desperate situation in Exodus 3 verse 7. In Exodus 3 verse 17, when they were slaves to Egypt. And just as God saw their affliction and then displayed loving kindness and truth to the people, so David is asking that it be done to him. In verse 8, you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. God is gracious. God is compassionate. In verses 9 through 13, David pours out his problems to God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye has wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. One writer says of verse 9 that we see these attitudes, the words used suggest grief, sickness, depression, and persecution. All of these things that the psalmist is feeling are wrapped into one. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sign. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Now, if you look in verse 10 in your different translations, some translate that word um, translated iniquity in the New American Standard. It's translated misery in some versions. It's translated affliction in other versions. There's a question, is this talking about David's sins or is this talking about his distress? If you wonder why the differences in some translations, the New American Standard and other translations like them, which have the word iniquity, are basically following the Hebrew text. And words in translations that have words like misery or affliction are largely following the translations, such as the Septuagint. But there's an important reason why I'm saying all of that about that word, and hopefully we'll come back to that. But it says, my body is wasted away. Listen to his grief in verse 11. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances, and those who see me in the street flee from me. Have you ever felt that you were a dangerous person to be identified with? Or have you ever been treated in a way that made you think that? This psalmist knew that experience. David knew that experience. In verse 12, I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. Psalm 88, verses 4 and 5 show that's often the case. The dead are forgotten. I am like a broken vessel, good for nothing, something to be forgotten and discarded. In verse 13, I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side while they took counsel together against me. 
They schemed to take away my life. I have heard the slander of many. The slander, and they're saying terror is on every side. That is a phrase that you may remember is associated, the phrase terror on every side is associated with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6.25, Jeremiah 20 verse 3, Jeremiah 20 verse 10, Jeremiah 46 verse 5, Jeremiah 49 verse 24, in Lamentations 2 and verse 12. And here David is experiencing that terror on every side and they're taking counsel and they're scheming to take away my life. The psalmist is experiencing misery. He is experiencing difficulties. He is experiencing depression. He is experiencing persecution. All of these are what he faces. But what will he do in the midst of that? In verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. The same thing we said about verse 6, the emphatic personal pronoun, it applies here. As for me, I, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are in my, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Did you notice how the psalmist commits himself to the hand of God in verse 5? Into your hand I commit my spirit. In verse 15, my times are in your hand. He commits himself to the hand of God. And he has been rescued or begs God to rescue him from the hand of enemies. In verse 8, you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. In verse 15, deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. He wants to be in God's hand and begs God to deliver him from the enemy's hands. In verse 16, make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame. In verse 1, let me never be ashamed. He repeats this in verse 17. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. May those who trust in you, O Lord, never be ashamed. But those who are wicked, let them be put to shame. Show yourself that you are God. Some trust in vain idols. Let them be put to shame that people may see that that is not a proper source of security. In verse 18, let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. In verse 19, he begins to describe God's goodness and God's kindness and particularly how he has experienced that in verses 21 and 22. But in verse 19, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret places of your presence from the conspiracies 
of men. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Now, in these verses, in verses 19 and 20, you notice that God may sometimes hide us, secretly tuck us away to keep us safe. That's the language of this passage. As God hides us in the secret places of his presence from men's conspiracies. You see that with Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 26, 36 verse 26, how the Lord hid Jeremiah and Baruch from King Jehoiakim. God may sometimes hide us away secretly. And God may sometimes vindicate us publicly. And you see that in verse 19, where God will bring his deliverance of us before the eyes of the sons of men. God is a God who rescues us and hides us away secretly and who vindicates us and proclaims our deliverance publicly. In verse 21, blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. A besieged city is a circumstance in which an enemy army would camp around a city and not allow any supplies, any food or water into the city, and they would not allow anybody out unless they surrendered. And sometimes enemies camped around a city for years trying to starve out a city. David felt like he was a city under siege, helpless to deliver, and yet God showed his kindness to him like in a besieged city, in a city where there was no other means of rescue. Or deliverance. In verse 22, as for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before my arm, from, from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication, which I cried to you. In the first part of verse 22, David feared that God had removed himself from his presence, that God had been separated. But at the end of the verse, he realizes that God had heard his prayer all along. But this psalm where David expresses his confidence and then pours out his heart in times of distress ends with David calling on others to praise God. In verses 23 and 24, O oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your hearts take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. David's experiences that he records in the book of Psalms are an encouragement to all of us to love the Lord, to be strong and take courage in the Lord, because the Lord preserves those who are faithful, and he will bring down, he will recompense the proud evildoer. We have tried, as we've studied these psalms, to see what these psalms teach us about God, and we emphasize in verse 1 God's righteousness and God's truth or faithfulness. In verse 
5, God's loving kindness in verse 7, in verse 16, in verse 21. We see God as a rock and a stronghold in verses 2 and 3. He is our strength in verses 2 and 4. But always the key character of Scripture is God. And Scripture is first and foremost about Him. In Psalm 31, we also want to see how these Psalms point us to Jesus and who He is. And in Psalm 31, you may remember that verse 5 is quoted by Christ on the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Jesus quoted that in Luke 23 in verse 46. Similar words are used by Stephen at his death in Acts 7 and verse 59. And throughout church history, some have quoted these as their last known words. Jerome, Calvin, Knox, all are said to have quoted Psalm 31 verse 5 on their deathbed. So Jesus specifically quotes from this psalm. Now that's interesting. I don't think that Psalm 31 speaks directly or exclusively about Jesus. And one of the reasons is because of that word iniquity that we emphasized in verse 10. Because the writer talks about some of his problems coming as a result of his iniquity, this eliminates Jesus who committed no sin, nor was any guile found in his mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. No, I think David writes of his experiences and his distress and his persecutions and his troubles. But the words that he writes of all of these troubles of his have a greater fulfillment and a greater application to Jesus. A greater fulfillment in him. Notice how many things in this psalm could be said of Jesus. For example, his enemies are said to have laid a net for him in verse 4. They are said to have schemed to take away his life in verse 13, of taking counsel against him in verse 13. All of these things we see being done to Jesus. Jesus experienced all the troubles that David did. Jesus experienced all of these and, and more. And just as David could say in verse 10, my life is spent with sorrow, so Jesus is a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53 in verse 3. While Jesus, while, while the author in verse 11 was a reproach to his neighbors and friends, all the disciples of Jesus forsake him and flee. In Matthew 26, verse 56, and in Mark 14, and verse 50, he's forsaken by those closest to him. It's a dangerous thing to be identified with Jesus. And Jesus' name is a reproach. Psalm 69 picks up these words of reproach in Romans 15, 3 tells us the words of Psalm 69 find their fulfillment 
in Jesus. David expands the meaning of Psalm 31, though. David experienced all these things, and he was delivered from death. Jesus dies on the cross, quoting the words, Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Jesus extends the meaning of this psalm. Not even death can stop Jesus, can stop God from fulfilling these words. Not even death can stop God's power to redeem. Our God is an awesome God, and He has revealed that fact in the person of Christ. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you.